this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. From the border of liberty and prosperity, prosperity, and the highway to the north, this is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars for Monday, October 24th. 2022 Welcome to Monday and I tell you it was a busy Monday We have a lot of news tonight and then we're going to follow up with permit required confined spaces I recently taught two classes on Permit required confined spaces, one for general industry, one for construction. And as you recall, in the last month, there were two stories covered here on Safety FM and Safety Wars on two incidents with permit required confined spaces. One of them was where three farmers were killed in a confined space in a silo. OSHA did not investigate because they were not employees. Interesting discussion to have because OSHA does not apply to self-employed people. I always question, well, then how come I have to have workers comp if I'm not covered by OSHA and uh, workers comp does not cover self-employed people? Uh, But I digress because it's in the spec is the uh, answer. The other thing, uh, there was a... uh, uh, crawl space where someone got killed in a confined space they were electrocuted in a crawl space in residential work and guess what they got cited initially for permit required confined spaces and let me preface this we're going to talk about a lot of safety stories here today and everybody is innocent till proven guilty and if there are OSHA citations then they're usually negotiated down vacated some settled things litigated what have you all different types of things so when we read the story here it's just for the initial uh uh, what the initial proposed stuff is from a regulatory agency really doesn't have a lot of uh what do you call it a lot of uh influence sometimes on the final result and here we go And we're talking about the war in the Ukraine and nuclear issues. NATO allies warn Russia against dirty bomb plot in Ukraine. So this past week, uh, more information came out today. Senior officials said Monday that they saw no evidence Russia was preparing to deploy a so-called dirty bomb in the Ukraine but threaten consequences if they did. So what exactly is a dirty bomb? Dirty bomb is where you take radioactive material, radioactive sources, often from uh, uh, old right, or stolen sources from medical equipment is commonly what they do. They may, may mill them down. They may put them intact uh, around an explosive device or like shrapnel, explode them, and then all this radioactive material goes all over. And it makes 
no, it may be minimal amount of physical, actual physical damage, but now you have a radiological dispersion of material all over the place. How dangerous may it be? Who knows, right? It all depends on what your situation is, but the terrorism and the uh, no, infliction of terror and harm and everything else that goes along with it now is what your uh, the uh, perpetrators would be willing to ca- uh, cash in on. Uh, as far as cleaning up from a di- dirty bomb, it would you know, depend on what was happening, but generally speaking, it would uh, be vacuuming, it may be Windex, it may be just plain old cleaning up with shovels and brooms and things of that nature. If it's the material is actually embedded into things, you may need abrasive blasting, but the whole thing is this. No one's going to take the risk on that, so you end up having to demo everything and throw it out anyway. That's just what the reality is. That was my experience on the anthrax cleanups, which I did not talk about last week. was 21 years ago last week, and I was involved in those. I really don't comment on those on the air other than saying that I was involved with them because I could get into trouble with what I say because we're not allowed to talk about certain details on those that are not in the public record. So uh, that's uh, that. And then going on, mutiny in Putin's ranks. Conscripts drafted into Ukraine war threatened to topple Russian regime over spluttering. I've never heard of that word, spluttering invasion. This is from the Daily uh, Mail in the UK. So basically what's going on is is that uh, a lot of people are being uh, conscripted into Putin's military there, and they end up going, and they're saying a lot of bad stuff there about that. They've had to supply their own equipment in some cases, including uh, body armor. They've had to supply their so, so their own food in some cases, and everything else that goes on with that you hear from soldiers in pretty much every war uh, there. A lot of people, uh, I don't know, uh, the uh, descriptions of conscription services, or of conscription in Russia have been similar to, like, disappearing people. Right, where they just pull up and grab you, throw you in there, and drive you away. Uh, take you away, never to be heard from. That's a lot of the stuff going on there, and they're making threats against people's families. Also, uh, by saying that uh, in some areas that have high areas of public assistance in Russia, they're actually saying, well, hey, guess what? You're not on public assistance anymore, your family, if you refuse to be conscripted. So it's a bad thing. That's what's going on out there. Dr. Doom predicts New York destroyed by nukes or storms in the next 20 years. So Noriel Rubini is considering whether he wants to continue living in New York, mostly because, well, he wants to survive. Well, survival is a good thing. So what's he afraid of? He's afraid of the uh, what we just talked about, the nuclear uh, issues where we're going to get nuked. I mean, if you uh, read in the prophecy of Nostradamus, right, he says that the new city will be the first one to attack. And of course, as I joked, what's the, the new city? First of all, he was Nostradamus. He was a mystic back, I think, in the 1500s, 1400s, that wrote a whole series of what were called quatrains and uh, that, that combined multiple languages, Latin, French, and whatever, 
into it and he made these cryptic pre- uh, 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 predictions. Some interesting, not so interesting, but people always say, you know, things that come out, uh, whatever. I mean, there, there's a whole cottage industry in Nostradamus. But one of the things he said is the new city will be the ones that will be nuked, basically. is how. And I always joke because I live in New City, not New York City. No, they said, no, no, New York City. I said, no, no, New City, that's us. But anyway, uh, so we may be at Ground Zero, and I call my studio here the Ground Zero Studios or the Fallout Shelter. So anyway, he's freaked out over tactical nuclear weapons and this escalating in Russia. And then the other thing is on floods. Right, it's 10 years after San- Superstorm Sandy, and they're, uh, they're afraid that New York is going to be flooded out, and there's all no plan except to build up floodgates and other things, uh, levees, what have you, but that's going to take 30 years. So my uh, suspicion is is that if you're worried about the floods by the age of the guy, get, guess what? No, I'm not wishing the guy ill, but I don't think it's going to, you know, he'll be around, you know? So... Uh, you'll probably be retired in Florida where it's safe from storms. Uh, but anyway, I'm making a little joke there. I know, I know, I know. All right. But, well, nuclear stuff, I mean, the way that, I don't, there, uh, he's assuming that there's going to be a, uh, there, there's going to be uh, a massive uh, limited, strike with nuclear stuff that's not what's in the plans dude all right there's going to be if there if this thing goes it's not going to be unless it's from a terrorist or something it's not going to be a limited strike if we can identify where that bomb came from or who's responsible for that bomb it's going to be a full exchange here uh my opinion i hate to be a doom and gloomer but guess what you have to deal with reality so uh Anyway, I think he may be trying to prepare for retirement. I hope that's it, uh, this guy, because he wrote a book uh, many years ago called Mega Threats: Ten Dangerous Trends That Imperil Our Future and How to Survive Them. So I, uh, as everyone here knows on the air, I had a recent uh, death in the family. My father passed away, and my brother and I are, uh, my two brothers and I uh, are, helping my mother clean out the house and manage things and everything else. And I finally got a hold of some of my older books that I haven't read in like 30 years because they were in a trunk in the attic. And uh, maybe 30 years is pushing it, maybe 25. And by the way, if you're interested in a whole bunch of Star Trek novels, give me a call, 845-269-5772. They're all original editions from the early 90s and late 80s. And... Uh, now, we can make a deal. But anyway, we're Jim at safetywars.com. But a lot of these books, and I'm jumping around a little bit, there were, in the 80s, I was a, wrote, wrote a lot of, I read a lot of books on eschatology, and it's end times. And all the, these doom and gloomers and everything else that went on, nothing, none of this stuff ever has not either has not come to fruition yet, or no, it just hasn't come to fruition. And after a while, I learned that most of this stuff was disaster porn. Basically, people selling books, nope, and peddling a lot of this stuff on disasters. Well, 
No, and what was the uh, whole th- mission, the whole thing for a lot of these, especially religious-based books? It was get right with God because there's going to be a disaster looming. And my religion, and I, no, I was exploring in different things in the 80s and early 90s. And my religious tradition now, so, right, and I, uh, we did an in-depth uh, study of this at church last year, uh, was that most of the stuff, yeah, will there be a second coming into Carnegie? Yeah, yeah, probably. But most of the things predicted in the Bible have already come true, was the whole lineage. You don't sell books based on that. Well, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. You know, things have all, for the most part, have already happened. You're not going to sell books on that. So a lot of these stuff, right, they're playing on people's fear. When I uh, wrote my book, now out of book, uh, now out of print on uh, nuclear terrorism, it was, no, remember, it was written after 9-11. There were massive predictions of nuclear attack and things of that nature, all right? And I wasn't preying on people's fears. I was saying, look, this might happen and we need to prepare. And this is one of those and trying to educate people to what the realities are of this situation the best that we can model them. That's where we need to be on this. This is all about, we just finished one month of disaster preparation uh, here in September. All of my programs are dedicated to that on a certain level. But that's what you will expand next year, I hope. But the whole thing is, is to prepare. These are what the reasonable and reality uh, what we're going on with. So here's another one. Pitbulls. You're going to say, what? Pitbulls? Yeah, pitbulls, not pimples. Pitbulls. So, pitbulls are somewhat making a comeback, right? Uh, so, National Pitbull, Pitbull Awareness Day is on October 26th. And 50 years ago, they were much more popular, but now we're seeing people where these animals are being bred and treated and trained for fighting. That's happened for a long time. Dog fighting has been around for time immemorial, I'm sure. And, of course, there's been people gambling on dog fighting for time immemorial. But it's like this. Uh, I've known families with pit bulls that were probably the most loving dogs around. All right. I have know of one family where uh, they had a pit bull mix but that was really like 90% pit bull, 95% pit bull, that was so overprotective of the children, it was scary at times. And, right, and then I've known on the other end, right, my family had a shih tzu, right, yeah, 11-pound, 12-pound dog, a snowball, right, we used to say 10-pound dog with 12-pound guvna, right, and basically... They had, uh, uh, he he was mean. The people who he didn't like, he was mean. He was vicious. He was more vicious than a lot of pit bulls. He thought he was something bigger than what he was, like a lot of those small dogs. But what's the idea? Dogs are dogs like people. How are they treated? How are they trained? What's their temperament? What's their breeding background? Everything else goes into that. Same thing with any other dog, right? My dog was 
the successful result of four generations of inbreeding. He, no, I love the dog. I cried like a baby. I mean, the dog died, but you know what? He was nuts. I mean, you know, how, now, how many of these dogs are just nuts? They're just bad dogs. You can have bad, they're like people. They're good people, bad people. Good dogs, bad dogs. I don't know. I would use your, uh, uh, I would, uh, Use your own discretion on here with any dog, whether it's a pit bull or some other dog. But now there's a lot of myths. There's a lot of truths. There's a lot of fictions associated with those dogs. And I don't know. But let's remember something also. What are we here about? Protecting human life. That's what, what Safety War is about. Protecting human life. In the workplace or in your community. Here's some environmental news. Margins on drought-stricken Mississippi River are, river are dead in the water. So because of the drought on the Midwest, the Mississippi River is the lowest that it's been in decades. They, people cannot get stuff shipped down river via water. So my question is this. It's wreaking havoc on uh, the supply chain and everything else. What are they going to do? I think they're going to ship things down on trains and bucks on trucks. Guess what? Is that safer than a barge? Not really, not in my experience. So we may see a whole bunch of externalities here with this. Not only is it going to be supply chain, food supply chain, uh, manufactured products, manufactured, no, raw stock for manufacturing or anything else, but now we have an issue here with, right, now this stuff is going to have to be shipped by something else. What I always think about, is Ayn Rand with this, Atlas Shrugged, where they uh, were, because of environmental policies, they started shipping things by rail, right? If you're familiar with the book, they were talking about, I believe it was reared in steel, some fictitious steel type thing, that when she was supplying the tracks and everything else with that, uh, with the uh, main uh, character, Dabney, Ta- Dagny Tabit, right? With that, I forget the whole story, but no, everything was shipped by rails. And in the 40s and 50s, everybody was like, oh, wait, what, rails? You know, you know, it was like the end of the rail- railroad era in a lot of ways. And they started shipping a lot of liquids through pipelines. Most significantly, pipelines were built during World War II and were one of the main reasons why we had... Uh, one World War II was building of pipelines from Texas City, Texas, up to the Bayway Refinery and Texaco in Bayonne, right? Bayway in Linden, New Jersey, then the other one in Bayonne, New Jersey, where gas was refined and up in Delaware, that area, and shipped over there. And you did not have U-boats sinking ships, right, on the uh, eastern seaboard type of thing. And... So what's my point here with all of this stuff, right? And I'm sure pipelines were shipping stuff across to California over there. My point is that this is going to have, with the Mississippi River running at low levels, going to have huge uh, ripple effects all over the place. You're going to see a huge demand for trains. You're going to see a huge demand for trucking. You're going to see a huge demand for everything. We just went through a nor'easter this weekend. And I tell you what, I live right by a reservoir. 
the reservoir wasn't even touched, didn't even go up. We got like four inches of rain, right? So we're going to need a boatload of rain. But guess what? We were told this back in the early 90s with the water tables in South Jersey that they were in a drought and they were going down. So this drought has been around for a long time. Uh, right, predictions, we haven't done anything to really counteract them. We're going to take a slight break. Let me catch my breath. And we'll catch you on the other side of the break. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. So, some good news for me and Jay Allen here. But I think I'm in worse shape than Jay Allen, right? Scientists move closer to baldness cure after growing fully mature hair follicles in a lab. A cure for baldness could be on the horizon after scientists generate, this is out of Yokohama, Japan, generate hair follicles in a lab. A team from Yokohama National University grew fully mature follicles with long shafts. And they added color to them. Hmm. Unbelievable. They did a whole bunch of stuff in a Petri dish. Uh, amazing, right? Uh, we Can you imagine how, what the price is going to be for one of these hair transplants? Look, we got hair, you know? Incredible. However, uh, let me uh, point out to you, a lot of women in my community do wear wigs, and you cannot tell the difference between the wig and uh, real hair. It's incredible. So I think that would probably be uh, cheaper on that end. Some uh, other environmental news here. New Jersey Sewer Authority agrees to a $335,000 fine and settlement over Federal, State, and Clean Air Act Federal State Clean Air Act violations. A certain regional sewage authority in Mercer County, New Jersey, I'm not going to mention which one, you can go look it up, right? Has settled with the EPA and the New Jersey DEP over violations to the Clear Clean Air Act and the uh, New Jersey Air Pollution Control Act, right? Regulations. So, what I'm surprised about, you don't hear. A lot, uh, no, this was a sewage sludge incineration. And uh, 
For a complete disclosure here, uh, I was involved in a couple of cleanups in the Mercer County area and Somerset County area from uh, sludge that was dumped uh, from uh, a Princeton lab and trash from Princeton labs back in the 1960s. So, you know, but basically it was, but anyway, not even wrong. Let me move on, right? So uh, that included some sewage sludge incineration spoils is what the uh, thing, uh, what my uh, point was. So what's amazing here to me is that they actually went after a, the government went after another government agency. That surprises me. Uh, I think uh, there's more to it than this. I don't think this was, uh, dude, let me see here. Yeah, basically, this is a quasi-government or government agency getting fined. I find that, on a certain level, I find it a little bit refreshing because, as everyone knows, I don't believe in qualified immunity or absolute or sovereign immunity when it comes to environmental or safety issues. I don't do it. I don't believe it. That's me going into the uh, swamp, you know, uh, temporarily here, right? Heading on into the swamp is... I don't really, uh, right. I don't really think it's fair that the government could do certain things that private individuals or companies would uh, do. Uh, now they're uh, assessing a civil penalty here. My question is this: Why isn't there any type of criminal penalty here? If you have public officials knowing that they're uh, now causing a problem here with uh, breaking laws, right? I think that there should be like a criminal penalty to this, and I'm sure, uh, but I'm fairly certain that there they have sovereign immunity here. I mean, pollution is a big thing. You have a lot of people, you know, I've been on jobs where people got convicted for dumping things illegally. Why? No, it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. But that's me going into the swamp pen. I'll remind everybody that my opinion is not the opinion of anyone else here on the statement, but on the, uh, or statements are not the statements or opinions of anyone else here on the station. Everybody gets away from politics. I'm not exactly uh, afraid of politics, right? Or religion, because we discussed religion today. And, uh, you know, I found all these old books, you know, I, I got rid of them. I was like false doctrine, disaster porn, garbage, right? Let, uh, this is a let's get more into the traditional safety here all right so right now florida needs workers to rebuild after ian and undocumented migrants are stepping in i know there are a lot of people now we're dealing with a labor shortage up here in the northeast now that we're getting into the fall all the landscape companies that might uh and construction companies, especially now, construction is starting to slow down for even seasonal work. It's going to slow down. A lot of the families I've spoken to up here ha are moving on down, right, whether they're immigrants or not, moving on down to Florida, Alabama, uh, Georgia, the Carolinas to rebuild after uh, Hurricane Ian. And I can see there being three to five years of construction down there. I know after Superstorm Sandy, it was five years 
of rebuilding in some of the areas on other isolated cases as things are still being rebuilt. But basically, this is what the issue is here. You have people going down there. We had last week OSHA saying they're in hurricane areas where they were hurricane hit that they were not going to do enforcement as much, right? That would be a memo if you're a disaster response trainer like me. You keep that, right, that press release. Now you have these workers being paid off the books or they're going down there as the independent contractor, which none of them are, right? But that's what they're being paid as. Uh, maybe setting up their own fly-by-night companies down there. Uh, anything like this. But what's the point? There's no OSHA regulations, right, that they're following. And that is a problem. That's going to be a big problem. People getting hurt, people getting killed. I, I'm going to go and keep track of the uh, statistics at the end of this. Now you're dealing with people getting hurt. Now you're dealing with a medical issue. Are there enough medical facilities out there that are going to be able to accommodate this stuff uh, because of medical facilities are destroyed? Uh, it's something that we're going to have to face sooner or later here with uh, these disasters, right? Again, shortage of PPE. Uh, supply chain, all of this stuff is built for a nightmare scenario down there. Diesel supply of just 25 days. This is from last week. This was widely reported. Uh, so we have a diesel supply of just 25 days and left in this country when we normally have a hell of a lot more. We usually have 55 days worth. So now we have the war in Ukraine. And there's another story here that we're getting refined gasoline from China now. Why? do why? Because we're not accepting Russian crude on the oil markets, right? So now it's a similar situation as 1978 where they found a middleman. Well, what happened in 78? In 78, I remember going to visit my brother who was in the Navy down in Virginia Beach and going over the Bay Bridge, and the... Uh, 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 tankers are backed up for miles and miles and miles. Uh, this is 79, I think. Yeah, 79 or 80, where 78 was when the crisis started, but then it took until like 81 for it to resolve itself. And you, they, uh, what were they doing? They were out there parked, all these tankers waiting for the contracts to get satisfied on the futures markets and stuff. So they could come in. Same thing happened here. We had a little bit of a lag time here. Now all this oil and gas, refined gasoline went to China. We're coming. It's coming here. That's all Russian oil. China's making out here. You know, it's just the way it is. So uh, again, externalities, ripple effects. And we're going to go and take another break here. And then we're going to come back with some financial stuff. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces.
You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. Some financial news today. We didn't really get to this last week, but pretty much all the markets were up. Right, Dow Jones Industrial is up 31,499, 62 S&P 500 up 37,937, 34 NASDAQ up 109 or 10,952. Russell 2000 up 1748, US 10 year treasury note up to 4.2. And let's see here, Bitcoin has dropped, right? Probably because everything else is up, dropped. To 19,326. 19, Crude oil is up at 84.94. So it's hovering somewhere between, uh, somewhere in the mid 80s. Going on to the precious metals. We have gold is up to 16.62. Silver up to 19.57. Platinum 948.40. And palladium up to 2014.50. So they're all hovering pretty much around the same level here. So we're going to go to our main discussion here. All right? And yes, I know everybody's very happy about that. <laughs> Tired about hearing Jim's take on the news, I know. So we're going to uh, talk today about confined space entries. So, there's a lot of news lately. Uh, now, here's a little statistic for you. How many uh, confined space entry fatalities are there a year, in a given year? Right, our latest data that I was able to glean from uh, online uh, sources was an average of about 128 a year. And you're going to say, well, why is that a big deal? It's only one-eighth that of falls. Blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? A lot of people die in confined spaces, and a lot of people get hurt in confined spaces. So, you know, you have fatalities, but you also have a lot of injuries in them. And the other thing is, uh, when they go bad, they go bad. Why does this matter to you, especially if you're the worker? It's on the rescue end. Right, a couple of ways you could uh, uh, approach this. You can say, "Well, regulatory. No, this is what the regulation is, and this is what the blah 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 OSHA citation and all the other crap that goes on along with it." Yeah, and it's okay, okay, it's not crap, but you know what I'm saying here. It's on the rescue end, right? So, what? Do, how do we define what safety is? I start out every class with this, and it doesn't matter what the class is. What is safety? How do we define it? Does two things. One, it's polling the class, see where they're at culturally, right? As part of that, because if you have a class, you're supposed to know what your people are about before you start teaching it. This is what the problem is with open enrollment. Open enrollment classes, which I normally don't do, you can have... Thank God for the sneeze button. Uh, the uh, You can have many different levels of experience. Or you can have entry level or you can have veteran level. And usually with a you know, good trainer, experienced trainer, you can make that work on that. 
but it's very difficult. I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit difficult. So you try to have everybody at the same level. And uh, with that, number one. Number two is it's all about capacity. With the hierarchy of controls. So the hierarchy of controls are all familiar with. You try to eliminate the hazard. You try to substitute a lesser hazard for a more ha- worse hazard. You make something a lot safer, period. In other words, from a fatality down to like uh, a boo-boo, right? And then the next one is some type of engineering control and then administrative and then PPE being the last, right? And that's all left of the bang. That's what we call. It's all left of the bang. What you want to, and if you can manage things on left of the bang, right, and the bang being whatever the event is, then you don't have to get to the right of the bang. And that's all your response. And you're trying to prevent yourself from getting to the right of the bang, which is the rescue, because that's where organizations fail. So, for example, you're in it. Uh, what's uh, a, a what's one of the hazards in a permit required confined space? atmospheric one of the common contaminants that's always especially in construction uh monitored is carbon monoxide general industry could be any number of things you need an assessment and evaluation by a competent or qualified person and or supervisor you need some type of evaluation what things are setting up the program blah 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 everything else we know all of that well let's say carbon monoxide poisoning and i'm not a doctor here but one, what's the treatment for carbon monoxide poisoning? It's a pressure chamber, right? Uh, you know, we're you know, like a diver's use. Well, let's say you're in central New Jersey. You have a carbon monoxide issue. Someone gets carbon monoxide poisoning. Okay, it's a 911 or 911 call, depending on what, where, you, where you are. And you get the person to the hospital. Now, in New Jersey, depending on where you are, the response time is going to be anywhere from nine and a half to 20 minutes. That's just for getting your ambulance or paramedic there. Then you have the time to get to the hospital. And now you're dealing 40 minutes of carbon monoxide poisoning. They have put you on oxygen, everything else. They put you into a pressure chamber, right? Uh, and what do you think happens? Your treatment is delayed by 45 minutes to an hour before you get appropriate treatment. Now you're going to say, where is the nearest pressure uh, vessel. Hold on. Four. Right. So, what do they call it? Decompression chamber. Right. I was. I'm always blanking on uh, the name. Right. It's a decompression chamber. Right. Also, uh, uh, so you're decompressing. What? The, how does it work? They put you in a chamber with high levels of oxygen in the air and they pressurize and they force oxygen into your blood because carbon monoxide is what's called a chemical asphyxiant where it reduces your body's ability, your blood cells, red blood cells' ability to absorb oxygen. It takes the place of oxygen on your cells. So they force oxygen into your system. It takes about, now in my experience that where I've had to do this, like seven hours to do. Okay, that's under the best of circumstances where your local hospital has 
one of these decompression chambers. Let's say you're in a rural area. That pressure chamber may be an hour away. They may need to airlift you <laughs> to that. Uh, if you're going up to, uh, I had to use one uh, on an employee uh, when I was on a dive job. The nearest one was an hour and a half away. And guess what? They were in the middle of a cycle when we got there. This isn't what you get out of a little burn unit where they, like I did with my father, where well, the wound care unit where they put you in a plastic bag, right, and, put, and, uh, and pressurize it. This is the actual, you know, this is the shit. You know, this is the big one. You get there in the middle of the cycle. So now you have a guy sitting there, now getting medical treatment, of course, but now he's sitting there for three or four hours. So what's the idea of all these regulations is so you don't have to get there, get to right of the bang. So you don't have to go in there and get uh, do everything else. Let's say that you're uh, working for a Yahoo company and nobody wants to wear harnesses. And it confines you. No one wants to be tethered off in accordance to the regulations. Then what happens? Oh, then it takes a hell of a lot longer to get it. Yeah. Now you have to get a rescue team to go in there. If you can't do a self-rescue or a non-entry rescue. Now you tack on another 45 minutes onto the job. So now at best, you're dealing with a trip to the hospital, not getting the full-blown medical treatment within an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. That's how, if you're a trainer, where you have to approach it from. If you're dealing with an emergency response, what is that right of the bang thinking, right? What happens after that? What's your response? Because you don't ever want to get to that. And if you could stress that, then it makes all your other training easy. Does that make sense? Or am I just bugging you here? So you have confined space entry uh, in construction uh, now. That was brought about in August of 2015. Back in the early 90s, I think it was 1993, they had the general industry standard. And there are marked differences between the general industry and construction if you are a manager. If you're a worker, you don't see there's not a lot of differences. At least that's one man's opinion. But I'll say this, most facilities out there, most people do not have the new, quote-unquote, seven-year-old confined space entry uh, for construction training. They still all go off of general industry. So if it's your job as a safety professional or a contractor coming in to relay to your person in charge that, hey, you know that there's a, a new standard out there with a little bit different... Oh, well, shut up, right? I've heard that already, too. Okay, great. So what is a confined space? Something really simple, right? And this is, uh, no, a confined space, both under general industry and construction, is three things. We're not talking about maritime uh, confined and enclosed spaces. That's a totally different discussion here. We're talking general industry and construction. So confined space is large enough and so configured that an employee can bodily enter and perform the assigned work, okay? Has limited or restricted means for entry and exit and is not designed for continuous human occupancy or employee occupancy, assuming that your employee is human, right? Some employers don't treat them as humans. But so you have to have a confined space first. 
This is where a lot of the debate happens, especially residential construction, where is an attic or a basement a confined space? The answer would probably, yeah, it's a confined space, but not always. But there has to be, it has to be assessed under both regulations. Under a uh, 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 the construction, it calls out for a competent person to assess confined spaces. In general industry, it doesn't. It just says somebody has to do it. But there has to be an assessment. So now you've met those three requirements. Now you're going into, is it a permit required confined space? Now you're going to say, well, who issues the permits? The permits are issued by a permit issuer. Yeah, well, okay, Jim, tell us something different. Usually a facility or it's taken care of by contractor. This is where the issue arises here. A permit required confined spaces has to have those first three and it has to have something additional, hazardous atmosphere, engulfing material, converging walls, and the other ever and the other ever ubiquitous, I can't speak on a Monday night, the other ubiquitous other safety hazards. So we understand hazardous atmosphere. There, and you're going to have to do an assessment what's in the space, but normally you're going to be, the most important one by law is going to be oxygen. In general industry and construction, is the oxygen between 19.5% and 23.5%. In maritime, consequently, and I know I'm not talking about it, it's 22%, 19.5% and 22%, but there's different reasoning behind that. All right, engulfing materials, we're talking silage of some sort, uh, usually, or something. Converging walls, where you can't get out, they're either bell-bottom, or they're converging together, or some other safety hazard. That could be uh, flowing material, piping, uh, sewage. It could be any number of things, lockout, tagout, electrical, things of that nature. So one of the recent stories was that a person was in a crawl space that had an electrical hazard and was electrocuted and died. They were cited under the confined space entry standard here for uh, what they were doing. So uh, now the question is, okay, you have this, the permit issuer has to go and issue a permit. Uh, analyze, and again, this is really general. You're going to be figuring out what all the hazards are, what all the precautions are, what all the emergency uh, stuff is. In the construction area, construction arena, who's the confident person? Who's responsible? Who's the host employer? Because this is what happened. It happens in general industry, and it happens again and again and again and again and again. It's like the hustle, right? You can imagine if you don't know what the hustle is, you, you know, or not a night fever, you know, you could Google it, the dancing in there. Everyone's pointing to everybody else under the general industry. I'm not responsible. I'm the host employer. I'm hiring you, the expert. You're, we're never going into a permit required confined space. Ha, 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 ha. Then you get everything going and they insist on going to the confined space. Major oil company, Oil terminal in Tennessee did that uh, to me. Jim, I'm going into the space. Well, you know what? <laughs> You're not on the list, and it's against your company policy. Yeah, but I'm authorizing the work, and I'm I'm authorizing the work. I'm going in. If you don't like it, f you. That's the that's the response you get. Okay, tell your boss. Let your boss handle that. What she 
he didn't. But anyway, uh, so what, where no where where are we going here? So under the construction standard, the host employer has to be in on the confined space entry, whoever that is, or their designee, whoever that is. Gone are the days where we don't know shit. We know nothing. My name is Muffin. I don't know nothing. Those days are gone, all right, with that under uh, construction. Everybody has to have a say. So you have your host employer and you have your subcontractors and everything else going in underneath them. The host employer could delegate that to someone to manage, but the host employer has to be on there. And that's the major change. The other thing is the requirement of a competent person. Now, competent persons are always required under construction regulations because uh, 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 every job site has to be inspected and maintained and everything else and assessed by a competent person. Okay, great. So what goes into the uh, whole thing is training, right? Even though you have your overall training, which I did today, where you sit down for several hours and you go over what the requirements are, you go over air monitoring, rescue, everything with the regulation, right? But you also have to have the day of training, site-specific training. Some people would call it a job hazard analysis, toolbox meeting, uh, tool no, tailgate meeting, whatever you use, whatever's customary, whatever you call it, where you describe it overhead, over well ahead of time. You go over the permit, uh, job hazard analysis, uh, analysis, what have you in assessing the space. Then you make sure that you verify you have all the equipment. You have your tripod. You have harnesses. You're able to retrieve people. The people have a communication system. Again, you say, well, we have cell phones. A lot of facilities do not have cell phones. You're not allowed to have them. They're secure facilities, oil refineries, oil terminals, uh, military facilities, hospitals, all this stuff may not be allowed to have phones. So now you have to have radios. Hopefully all this stuff is handled ahead of time and not the day of. Now you're, and the other thing is this, do a radio check. Every time I am in charge as a supervisor of a confined space, I do a radio check of some sort. Why? Because we had a guy and Bob Shackleton, you're out there, you're going to be laughing over this. And all the people from one company that I were used to work with, remember this guy, he used to walk around for five years with a broken radio. Right? Why? Because he didn't want to tell his employer that he broke his radio. So he put everybody in, and then I come there, hey, dude, you got the radio, Casey? Oh, no, no, I, 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 it's okay. And then he walks away. Went through this for five years. Luckily, I knew it was broken. Luckily, I said, I tell you what, use my radio, right? I got another one. I have capacity. So, yeah, again, that's something that has to happen. Uh, Do you have a means of communication, right? Are your atmospheric hazards, what are they? Are you measuring them? This is another failure point in here where the atmospheric hazards under confined space general industry, technically, you don't, you don't have to do continuous monitoring unless the permit says so or the person in charge says so. Under construction, you got to do it all the time. So is that equipment the appropriate equipment? Is that equipment calibrated is it charged? Is it, do you have somebody who knows what the hell they're doing with it? 
right? All of the, where, what are the readings? I tell people, even if I'm the uh, permit required confined space entry attendant, right? We'll go into roles in a minute here. I say, ask me what the readings are. Don't take my word for it. Ask me. Let me show you what the readings are. Because it happened to me more than one time where I go out to do a safety audit and the attendant has the meter turned off and none of the meter readings written down anywhere. And then it's like, Jim, they have data loggers. Well, data loggers don't work all the time, especially when you send people out in the field with meters without a laptop computer to la download everything. Happens all the time. So, again, are they? is it calibrated? A lot of companies don't calibrate their equipment, I'm going to tell you. When I'm on site, it gets it's in my contract. The equipment gets calibrated every day, at least once a day. And I check, do a cal check at the end of the day. Every day, the machines are out there. It's easy enough. And you monitor for those. And there's other hazards in a confined space, right? Physical hazards, chemical, everything else. But there are three basic roles in the field. If you're in construction, you have qualified individuals and things of that nature, and you have a competent person in addition to the uh, traditional three, where you have the authorized entrant, right? You have the attendant, and also known as the whole watch, and you also have the entry supervisor. The entry supervisor could fulfill multiple roles, but it's not really recommended. Right? It could, so, for example, could probably be the attendant. Right, attendant supervisor, that's very common. I've never seen attendant and entrant uh, supervisor being also the entrant, uh, except for maybe to check on something or something in and out sort of thing. So what's the entrant? The entrant has got to know, has got to be through all the training, has got for that, for the job and for what they're doing. It has to be aware of the chemical hazards and the other hazards, warning properties, and everything else associated with confined spaces. Got to be on board, right, with everything. Has to have the authority to stop work, too. Say, hey, this doesn't look right. I'm getting out of here. This doesn't smell right. There's something wrong. I have a bad feeling about this, right, and everything else. The attendant, on the other hand, has the uh, uh, job. That, that's what... His or her job is. They're the attendant. They're sitting there. They're hanging out. They're watching. They're doing everything else with that. All right? They're the ones who are doing air monitoring. They're the ones doing, uh, 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 no, notifying emergency services. They're effectuating a non-entry rescue. They're first aid CPR trained, current. All that stuff goes into an attendant. They're not also a worker. I mean, can you hand, hey, can you hand me that wrench right outside? Yeah, okay. And they don't leave their spot. They hand a wrench and fine. But what we're talking about is, hey, make them run out to the lunch truck and get us uh, coffee, you know, that sort of thing. Run out to the truck and get, you know, they're, they're gone for an hour. They come back, the people are dead. You know, that sort of thing. That's what you want to avoid doing. So that's what the job is. And I'm not going to do everything. Communicate. Keep track of everybody. Keep track of the paperwork. Do the air monitor. Record the air monitoring results. All this stuff and more are the attendant and the supervisor, like the name would imply, basically supervises everything and 
has to arrange for emergency services. And this is where the dangerous thing is. Are the emergency services available appropriate to what you're doing? Now, you're going to say, well, Jim, that's a funny, you know, you know, uh, that's funny. What do you mean they're not available? We just call, our plan is just to call 911. Well, did you talk to them? Did you talk to the emergency services? If you're in the metro New York area, there is a, I can almost guarantee if you're in uh, New York City, uh, any of the surrounding counties, even on the other side of the river, chances are you, ha- you have people who are highly trained. Every metropolitan area. Well, let's say you're in the middle of nowhere. Are they trained? Do they have the right equipment? I'm not saying they're evil. I'm not saying they're stupid. I'm not saying anything like that, like what people are going to say tomorrow or tonight. What I'm saying is, do they have? are they trained to do a confined space entry rescue? If you're dealing in the middle of nowhere, they may not. So you may have to work with them to uh, do two things. One, equip them and train them, right? I've had clients do that. Oh, we're relying on the local emergency responders, and guess what? Here's a check for half a mil. You go and train your people. We'll be starting work in two months. Guess what? They get all the stuff that they need. They get all the training they need and everything else. Versus, or they say, look, we're going to hire our own rescue team and everything, or we're going to train one in-house, which has its own requirements, own evaluation and everything else. It could be a pain in the neck, but guess what? Companies can do it, and they can do it effectively. Right, but it requires a lot of admin, a lot of people on top of things. That's the other option on that. Where you don't want to be is like where I was a very young safety professional and we were in an extremely rural area and uh, I my uh, the quote-unquote confined space entry supervisors said, everything is in order, everything is good. Jim, don't worry about a thing. Don't worry, everything's good. I notified everything, blah, blah, blah. And then they had a problem in a confined space and with a fire and you call 911 and they pick up the phone and it's a small town and they know you because you've been there for a month and they say, oh, Jimmy, you're from New Jersey. Yeah, well, uh, your supervisor's, uh, no, Frank over there, we told him, we told him that, we are not equipped to fight fires or do anything else in a confined space. And then you're screwed at that point. Then you have a problem. You don't want to be in that situation. So this is one of a confined space entry. One of the battles of the safety war. And we'll see you tomorrow for Safety Wars. This is Jim Pozel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.